Amen. While we are standing, I will turn your attention to the word of the Lord that we will read together in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And I will read for you this morning verse 32 through verse 40. And then at conclusion, we will finish up those latter verses all the way to verse 49 with a sermon that I have entitled, He is God Alone. Do you believe that? He is God alone. The word of the Lord says, beginning at verse 32, it says, For ask now the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from amidst another nation by trials and signs and by wonders and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. Because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence and by his own power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is to this day. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord God in heaven above and on the earth beneath, and there is no other. Therefore, you shall keep His statutes and His commands, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Father, we ask your blessing upon the reading of this word, and Lord God, I pray that you would use me as a vessel today, not fit, but Lord, one of you that you have called, not adequate in myself, but adequate in Christ Jesus and his righteousness. And so, Lord, I just pray that these words today will speak to our heart and our mind, transform us, conform us into the image of your Son. There's one in here who doesn't know the precious salvation through Jesus alone. I pray you would save them today as according to your will. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So working through the book of Deuteronomy certainly has been an experience for me, even four chapters in. The Lord has really used this, this particular book in the Torah to show me a few things, and I hope that He has shown you some as well. I pray that He has opened your eyes and made you think about some things that maybe you hadn't thought about before. Last week we were introduced to another head on this beast that has wreaked havoc on the life and health of the church. And we had talked the week before about the head of this beast, that being individualism. Last week I highlighted the head on this villainous monster that was idolatry. An idol can be easily understood as anything that distracts your attention away from the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
These can be long-term idols, they can be short-term idols, but in the short of it, an idol is an idol, or an image or a representation of a god used as an object of worship. And on this particular head, we spoke that it had many teeth, and there's many distractions, many idols, and sometimes it sinks its teeth in us, and we don't know what to do, and we prayed that the Lord would break down these idols, and we would be able to cast them at his feet and pick up our cross and follow him. And the thought that I took away from last week really was that our, if our hands are full of idols, we can't pick up our cross and follow Jesus, can we? And as you might have realized already, this actual beast that I'm talking about is sin itself. And I don't know how many heads I'm going to display to you over the course of time that this just sort of not happened, but was under the leadership of the Lord that we would start looking at this villain, this monster that has many heads. The, the monster itself is, is sin, and there are many heads thereon. But I want to highlight just a few that, that are encroaching upon the health and vitality of the church. But most importantly, we must identify these heads of sin or sinfulness and, and then find out how they are damaging to, number one, your personal walk with the Lord Jesus, and then how they might hinder the overall fellowship of believers. Individualism is dead set on tearing down community. Idols is dead set on tearing down your worship. And today I want to speak of something, another head that is on this beast of sin that I wish to unveil to you today. This head can be just as deadly as individualism, the sin of individualism, the sin of idolatry, and certainly can be interrelated. And today this head is that of ingratitude. Ingratitude. It was 17th century theologian and churchman by the name of Thomas Fuller. You may have heard of that name. Thomas Fuller said this of gratitude and ingratitude. He said, gratitude is the least of the virtues, but ingratitude is the worst of vices. Moreover, a lack of appreciation, I will submit to you, a lack of deep appreciation can certainly lead one to an attitude of entitlement. And so I might even link both of those together as to say ingratitude and, enti and entitlement are closely related. And in case you've had your head in the sand for the past few decades or so, or the past few years, entitlement has invaded our culture. It has invaded our churches. See, here's the thing. We think that our government, societies, and even churches owe us something simply because we exist. I'm a human. I have walked the face of this planet. I am entitled to this, or I am, I am entitled to that, or I am entitled to receive this compensation, or I am entitled to receive this freedom. And church, I must say to you that the same thing comes into the, into the way that we factor in the person of Jesus Christ, who He is to us, what He means to us, what He has done, and what adoration we give to Him. We think simply because we are a follower of Jesus that we are handed everything on a silver platter as if our Lord Jesus is some type of cosmic butler who is there for our every whim. Every time we stump a toe, there is Jesus to hinder, to, to mend up our toe. But as you know by experience, that's not the case, is it? We go through trials. We go through suffering. 
And by the word of God, entitlement is farther from the truth. And really what we are entitled to is a life separated from the goodness of God and a life of hell. That's what we are entitled to. With any villain in history, though, we have a hero, don't we? And our hero is none other than the Lord Jesus, who has defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave. And by the Holy Spirit, as we draw closer to the Lord, we move out of these areas of inappreciation and entitlement and cast our idols down and, and cast down this thought of individualism and we pick up our cross and we, and we follow Jesus. Amen. So let's turn our ear to Mount Horab. Here's Moses over, over the people. He is teaching them. There we find Moses continuing to remind the people of Israel of their covenant with the Lord their God. In short, that the Lord, that God will never leave them and He will never forsake them, but they must draw close and clean to the Lord. Again, much of Israel's history is contained in remembering the mighty acts of the Lord and then pressing forward. Remembering the past, but yet moving forward. Not camping in the past and staying stagnant, reaching for the glory days of Israel, or the glory days of the church, mind you, even. But learning from the past, take from it there what you need, and move forward for the kingdom of God. And Israel is their prime example of the Lord involving Himself with human history in a very, very tangible way. What is the tangible way for us, people? The tangible way for us is Jesus Christ. The metaphysical, stepping into the physical, in the person of Jesus Christ, taking on flesh, the tangible way. In American history, we would say one of the greatest attacks on United States soil would be that of Pearl Harbor. I don't know if anyone in here is old enough to remember that. I certainly am not. One of the greatest attacks on U.S. soil, Pearl Harbor. Maybe a little closer to us contemporarily is that of September the 11th, the Twin Tower attack. We all remember that. I, I remember I was working on my truck and I had one of my workers run up to the truck. Did you hear what happened? So I, I remember that day. We remember that day as United States citizens today. But it's like they were asking, when have you seen God move? This is when I've seen God move. He brought us out of Egypt. This is how I've seen God move. He brought me from death to life. I remember that day. He brought us out of the fiery furnace of Egypt, and by His mighty hand, He led us out and away from bondage and into what would eventually be freedom, although they were up and down, close to God, away from God. And ultimately, and ultimately we would have the person of Jesus out of their lineage. But I want to present to you today, beginning at verse 32, some things to be in appreciation for to our Lord. Some things to appreciate. Simply put, to appreciate the greatness of God. Appreciate the greatness of God. Since it seems that we of a culture have, we have lost, as a church even, we have lost this deep appreciation for the work of Jesus. 
You might say, no, preacher, I appreciate Jesus all the time. I want you to look around. Have we lost this deep appreciation for what Jesus has done on the cross? It would do us well to try and recapture this appreciation, this deep appreciation for the work of Jesus. Now, now there's no formula. I'm not going to give you a formula. I don't have an equation. Do this and this and it equals this in your life. I'm not going to say if you do this and you do this, you'll have You'll have appreciation for the Lord Jesus. It's not something that we can muster up. It's not something that we can, like some type of shaman can cast a spell on and all of a sudden we have appreciation in our life. There's no formula that I can offer you nor, nor to try to force some generic sense of appreciation. But what I can do is give you a much easier response. Do you know how you find a deep appreciation for the goodness of God? You're focused on the gospel. That's it. You might say, well, isn't that a bit oversimplistic? Just focus on the gospel and you will find appreciation and, and more so. So let's, look at, let's take a look at this of Moses, his challenge here, to look at the goodness and the greatness of God. Here's Moses' challenge in verse 32. Now I want you to look at the days that are past and those that are for you, Look at the past to move forward since the day that God created man on earth. And I want you to look from one end of the heaven to the other, whether such a great thing has ever happened or anything that you've ever heard of. And the idea is this, search one end of heaven to the other. Scan the othermost parts of earth. Look back to the beginning of history to the present point and you will see there has there has not been any event in the history of history that can topple the magnificent work of God Almighty. You'll not find it. The Buddhists can't boast of it. The Jehovah's Witness can't boast of it. The Mormons can't boast of it. They all have a dead uh, figure that they, that they worship or they deify. It is only through Jesus who is risen again. Now, these days, you'll find Christians who might do this, Christ followers, who would look out and say, yes, I see. Throughout the created order, there's a sense of design there. And you might find some Christ followers who might think they're a little bit smarter than everybody else. And they might try to explain the created order the, the way that we see it in this form of theistic evolution. And what I mean by that, they would try to purport that God used evolution to form and to shape the world over billions of years, and that's what we have today. People who claim to be followers of Jesus. This idea of theistic evolution, that God used evolution to create the world around us. And the bigger question comes to mind is this. Why does God need such mechanisms? Why does God need Darwinian evolution or Karl Marx manifesto to create the world that we know it or to somehow see society thrive? And by the way, the two are interrelated. Last time I checked, God didn't need anybody. Last time I checked, God didn't need anyone and there certainly is not a person alive or dead who will ever topple his power or threaten his authority. And here's the thing, no, we think that the world will suppose that we are 
some type of dumb, brain-dead, backwood hicks for believing the simplicity that God said. I take him at his word. God said. And that might be some of our problem. We might have doubts that God said. Well, it makes more sense if the world, if the world we look at, the cosmos itself, has an appearance of design. Well, guess what? There must be a designer. You know, I've always heard if it sounds like a duck, moves like a duck, quacks like a duck, guess what? It's a duck. If the world has the appearance of design, then it must have a designer, shouldn't it? Search heavens over and over again, and, and you have never seen, you have never heard anything like the works of the Lord ever. The same God that can speak the world into existence and who can fling the stars by His fingertips is the same God who saved a wretch like me. Isn't that amazing? See, we can testify God was raised from the dead and His Son was raised from the dead, but no other religion can claim that. No other worldview can claim that. Who can offer eternal life with no human works whatsoever? Who can offer eternal life with no human works involved? Only Jesus. Verse 33. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Now, here's the thing about this rhetorical question. Since no other gods exist... The answer is none but Yahweh, none but God. Have you ever heard of of a God who gave special revelation to His people with such power and with such a way that there is no other explanation to it other than God breathed it out? Can there be any other sacred text? Can it boast of being alive and working and cutting to the very bone and marrow and discerning the thoughts and actions of of humankind? Can you find it? And in case you're not familiar with that verse, that's Hebrews 4 and verse 12 that says, For the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any double two-edged sword. It pierces into the divide and divides the soul and the spirit, the joints and marrow, and and judges the thoughts and the purposes of the heart. Now we know that through this verse... Through this verse, there is a correlation between Jesus, the Logos, the Word, and the Word of God that we handle and hold and pass on. There is a correlation between the two. Now we know that it's specifically speaking of the Christ Jesus, because in the very next verse it says, No creature is hidden from His sight. So there's a correlation between the two. And who can boast of, of, of that, that there is any other God? Who can boast that? There is any other God. Nobody can boast that there is another God. No one can boast that they have a God that they truly worship who is living. In many ways, Moses is implying to the people, taste and see that the Lord is good. Look and see His greatness and see that His ways are verifiable and they are evidential. Something that we can put our hand on. Something that we can see. He carries on. He says, or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself in the midst of another nation by trial signs or wonders by war. It says, by his mighty hand, as outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror. Who can, who can claim this? All which the Lord your God did for you. Who can claim this? Now the idea of Israel being chosen by God has, 
has been a question that has surfaced many times. They would say, well, why did God choose Israel? You ever thought that? Why did God choose the people of Israel? And the answer, I believe, is very simple. Just as we would draw close to the Lord and appreciate Him more, is as simple as learning the gospel, reciting the gospel. Just as that is very simplistic, so the answer is here. Why did God choose Israel? Simple. Because He is God and we are not. I say, well, that doesn't sound very theological, but it speaks to the sovereignty and all-powerful nature of our God. He is powerful and we are not. But let's just say we want to put a finger on a verse or two that might help us out with His sovereignty. It might give us an idea as to why God would have chosen Israel. We recite this verse almost every year at Christmas in some way or some form. Micah 5.2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, Euphratai, you are too little to be amongst the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is of old from ancient of days. Small, humble Israel. God brought the way of salvation. But at the very end, it is still the answer that He is sovereign, He is God, and we are not. God takes the small and uses them greatly. He takes the humble and He is exalted through them. In fact, we have nothing to bring to the table other than our obedience and service to Him. Many have seen the Lord's work and have trembled. Up until this point, Israel was known as the once Hebrew slaves who God brought out by miraculous events and by His hand. This is how the surrounding nations saw them. And what an excellent opportunity is for, for them to demonstrate the truth of God and the truth that there is only one true God to serve Him, to love Him. But over and over again, they squandered it. And I thought to myself, I thought to myself in reading this and my my duty to the mission of the Lord Jesus, my duty to the Great Commission as your duty, I've thought to myself with this question, how many times have I let opportunities slip me by? These are opportunities to share the goodness of Jesus, and I just froze up, or even worse, it didn't even cross my mind to ask, are you a follower of Jesus? When a person dies and passes away, Sadly, my first thought, and I repent, my first thought is not, I wonder if they were a believer. Think about it. If we really appreciate the work of Jesus and, and, and really love Him the, the way that we say that we do, then I put myself out there. Then, then shouldn't I have a witness or testimony for Him? And, and I wish it was so. Then he says, to you it is shown that you might have know the Lord God and there is no other beside him. Out of heaven, he lets you hear his voice. He might disciple you or discipline you. And, and on earth, he lets you see his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And right there on the tip of Mount Sinai, God moved in such a way, a mighty way, the earth trembled and lightning flashed and the people were fearful. But that didn't stop them from turning their back on the Lord in 3.7 seconds. It didn't take them long for them to chase after idols. They heard the voice of the Lord in an audible way. And you know, I don't know if I've ever heard the voice of the Lord in that way. 
I can't ever say that I heard the voice in this audible, clear way. I, I, I can never pinpoint a time when I can say I heard him speak audibly to, to me in that way. I, I can say that I, I hear him speak through his word, his son, and his Holy Spirit. I have heard that. I remember this one time. I thought to myself, well, maybe I heard, maybe that was the voice of the Lord. I'm not, I'm not sure in this very audible, this audible way. The year was 1996. I, I was a new believer. Come to know the Lord uh, in 1996. And uh, part of this initial struggle for me was, was laying down my cigarettes. And that was my struggle. Now, I didn't see anything wrong with smoking. If it was damaging my body, then no one's going to be to blame but me. Okay? That was my struggle. But I remember laying back on the pillow and I was about to light up a cigarette. And I heard this voice, deep voice, say, put it down. To this day, I do not know if that was the audible voice of God or the voice of my father in the other room saying, put it down, as he heard the flick of the Zippo trying to, trying to strike. But I will say this. I probably spent a lot of money on plenty pack gum over the years. But I will say this. I don't know if that was the audible voice of God or my dad in our thin walls. But I do know this, that God speaks through His Word, He speaks through His Son, and He speaks through His Holy Spirit. You don't need anything else. You don't need a new revelation. In fact, there are no new revelations. You don't need something extra to make you believe. God is powerful enough in Himself and the quicker that we come to realize this truth, the better off we will be. We don't need anything else other than the revelation that God has given to us. You don't need me this morning to drive a Mercedes Benz or a motorcycle up on the platform and use as an illustration. This is what you need. The Word. Secondly, appreciate the love of God. Why? Because God is love. Let me ask you this. Is there anything that you bring to the table that would make God love you more? But the short of that answer is no. This is the beauty of agape love. Something I would call love with legs. Love with action. Look at verse 37. And because he loved your fathers, they didn't do anything in and of themselves, by the way. He loved your fathers and he chose their offspring by his sovereignty. And after them, and he brought you out of Egypt by his own presence, his power, driving out the nations greater than you, mightier than you, to bring you in to give you this land. Now, this is not the first or the last time the, the people will be reminded of the first Passover. In fact, the Passover itself is to commemorate the events in human history. God bringing them out uh, by the first Passover. Every time they sit down for the Seder meal, the Passover meal, it is to remember how Yahweh brought them out of bondage, brought them through the wilderness, even the bitterness in the wilderness itself. We have items in our faith that remind us of the work of Jesus, don't we? Songs that we sing of His truth, we sing Amazing Grace, the last line. When we've been there, there 10,000 years. 
Songs that remind us of our faith. Songs that remind us of the work of Jesus. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Has Christ's sacrifice on the cross, is it sufficient for your salvation? The answer is yes. And we are reminded, amazing grace, and there's a song, He is God Alone, which is the title of the sermon for today. We participate in communion meal that reminds us of the sacrifice of Jesus or the believer's baptism that points us to the death of Jesus and the new identity in him to be buried with Christ, to be risen in newness of life. The verse comes to mind, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. See, God wants us to know his will. He doesn't hide it from us. God's revelation is presented to us clearly. And how do we know this from Deuteronomy, verse 39? Know, therefore, today, lay it to your heart, that the Lord God in heaven and above and on earth beneath, there is no other. Therefore, you will keep His statutes, His commands. I commanded you this day that it might go well with you. Go well with your children. It will prolong your days because you're not a rebel. You're not antagonistic to the things of God and authority. It will go well with you. Now, this is the third time that Moses has reminded the people the goodness of God and the importance of learning and adhering to the commandments and then passing them on to your children and your children's children. Do you think that's important? The motive of our Lord is this, to keep His To keep His commandments is this, that He loves them, and then that it might go well with you. That is what the Lord desires for you as well, for you to grow in the Lord Jesus. The Bible tells us, 1 John 4, 19, very well-known verse. In fact, we quote it all the time. We love because He first loved us. Now, if you were to look at these last verses, you'll see that Moses had said about three cities, the east of Jordan, and he had set these up. In verse 42, he says, anyone kills their neighbor unintentionally, they can flee there. So he's setting up some parameters, and they might be able to flee to this city. He's beginning to set up some parameters as to where the people of Israel begin to rule and and reign and, and thrive. He said, this is the law that Moses set before the people of Israel. These are the testimonies, these are the statutes, these are the rules that Moses spoke to the people of Israel when they came out of of Egypt beyond the Jordan in the valley valley opposite Beth Beth Peor in the land of Shehan, the king of the Amorites who lived in Heshbah, which we spoke about earlier, who would not let Moses pass through until they went to war, who Moses and the people of Israel defeated when they came out of Egypt and they took possession of this land. Ending up, he says together with all of Arabah on the east side of Jordan, as far as the Sea of Arabah, under the slopes of Pishgah. And this later portion demonstrates distribution of land and a reminder of God's keeping of His covenant to His people. As we look back on chapter 4, we have identified the damaging effects of individualism and that it has on the, on the body. That yes, there is a certain sense that we are individuals, but we are not to live in community, outside and separated. In short, we need our church family. And how idolatry can hinder worship 
Today we spoke of how ingratitude can lead to entitlement. Just what does that look like? It might look like this. Just because I'm a Christian, God has to heal me all the time. Or how about, just because I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to have everything that I want. And reality is, everything that I want should be everything that God wants for me. Which means my wants and my desires line up to His will for my life. And not just my own self-sufficient ways. And if we were to look back onto chapter 4, Moses, he called their attention to the Word of God and the commandments. He called them to keep the law of God, to live it out. He called the people to be aware of their idols and that and they, they should be uh, to the nations of people where the other nations would admire because of their, their service to the one true God and their worship to Him and, and that the idols are detrimental to the worship. He reminds them to never forget their allegiance to God and to be mindful of God's holiness. He spurns them on towards greatness, not that they are great in themselves, but God is great. We sing that song often, don't we? How great is our God? How many times do we sing it without ever really meditating upon those words? How great is our God? And then there is an encouragement, sing with me, how great is our God. He reminds them that there is only one true God. There is much that we can be reminded of here today as well to appreciate and to reflect upon the work of Jesus Christ. Things that we remember about Jesus, that He gives sight to the blind, He healed the lame, He cleansed the leper, He opened deaf ears, He raised the dead both physically and spiritually, He preached the gospel, He walked on the water, He commanded the storm, He confronted the heretics, He was arrested, He was beaten, He was crucified and rose again on the third day and is making intercession for the believers right now. But one day He is coming again. He is God alone. You know, I had trouble with this sermon today, presenting it. And I really don't know exactly what it was. And I really did not feel like preaching this sermon today. I felt some way that it was incomplete. So I struggled with it. Give me a minute or two and we'll pray. And I was getting out of the shower and I felt just this burden. Maybe I need to push this away. Maybe I need to push it away. But then as I was praying to the Lord, this one verse came to mind. This one proclamation. As we say that God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. This one phrase come to mind as well. That God is love. And I thought to myself, Lord, do you want me to just put the Bible, put my verses away for today and, and preach that without any preparation? I don't think the Lord would want us to come up here without any preparation, without any study. But I began to pray about that thing. God is love. And I began to think to myself, and I had an eureka moment, I guess you could say, that the point that I just shared to you, the appreciation for the love of God came to mind. And I said, well, you know what, Lord, that does line up exactly with that last point. Maybe he would like to me to make an addendum on the end of this sermon to say, God is love. And I don't know who I would be speaking to today when I speak about the love of God. But whoever's in here who needs to hear this today, I don't know who it is, 
You might be struggling. You might be going through something. But may I say something to you today? God is love. He loves you. And part of God's love is also His judgment towards sin. You can't live on in your sinful state. God loves you enough to where He wants you to move out of that sin and cling and, and hold on to Him and to love Him. Now, I don't know who needs to hear that this morning, that God is love, but He is also justice. Part of God's love is also His justice as well. Now, I don't know who needs to hear that today. I don't know who needs to be reminded of that today, that God loves them and God is calling them. God is beckoning them to come unto Himself, that He might love on you, that He might that he might uh, heal you from your sin, that he might call you into himself, that you might be a believer here this morning, and you might be struggling with this tension between God's love and his justice, and you're trying to merge the two, and you're trying to find out how these two might complement one another. You're struggling with that, and I just simply say to you today, I don't know who needs to hear this, but God is love. God is love. Now, I could probably preach a whole other sermon on that in and of itself. But for whatever reason, getting out of my shower this morning, almost busting my rear end getting out, this sermon would not be complete without that word at the end. And I would be disobedient by not sharing that. So you think about that this morning. Maybe you needed that fresh reminder. Maybe that's all it was. You needed a reminder. I'll ask you if you will. Let's, let's pray together.